1: So the Bruins just had a video on Twitter of all the players kind of uh, wishing Bergeron well and thanking him. And uh, it appears that it was done in May during breakup day because there's some detectives online saying that they're all wearing the same outfits as breakup day. So maybe Bergeron... Can, you, known can you get for a, a fire while. alarm
2: going off? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that would probably, that'd be a telltale sign. So maybe Bergeron's known for a while. Um, but I, don't, I guess it doesn't really matter at this point. The market's been what it was. Or,
0: or my thought is that they asked people to do it while they were all together just in case. Yeah.
1: That's fair.
0: Yeah,
1: That's fair. So anyway, not to jump back to last, last April. Um, but yes. so Bridget, absolutely. I mean, I'll just go first quickly. I mean, Bergeron without a doubt. I mean, in my mind, he's a, he's a top three, you know, for sure. Top five Bruin of all time. And, um, phenomenal like like just incredible player on and off the ice person role model like 200 foot game never took a shift off never took a shift off and he's gonna be sorely missed I mean so many so many great memories are because of him and uh I mean huge reason why they won the cup in 11 which is you know for Bruins fans from whatever like our age younger a little bit younger to people in their 60s 70s 80s I mean that's that's only so many of those people have had the chance to watch. So he's an all-time Bruin for sure, and one of the best two-way players to ever play the game. And I mean, 2013 Game Seven, phenomenal. Uh, 2011 Game Seven, just so many, so many uh, career highlights for that for that guy. So it's been truly an honor to watch him my literally almost my entire life, which is pretty pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, third third all-time in Bruins history in games played, third in goals, third in points. um, yeah, I tweeted this earlier today, but obviously that that 2013 game seven winner, like that's his most iconic goal in part because of Dave Gosher's incredible call of that. Mm-hmm. But to me, like the one like, I always come back to is the second goal in game seven of the 2011 2011 final, a shorthanded goal. that's just yeah. pure hustle play. He gets you know, take, draws a penalty on the play, but basically just goes sliding into Luongo and. and You know, knocks it home to make it three-nothing and at that point basically seal the cup. Like I know, you know, Bruins fans weren't didn't want to celebrate too early, right? Because everyone also remembered the collapse the year before against Philly, 2010, where they had a three-nothing lead in game seven and and choked it away. But you you kind of knew, like that just felt different. That Vancouver, like that arena was went totally silent after that. Because it's like that they have a power play. We I mean, knew that Canucks team obviously had a loaded power play. You're thinking, Hey, if they score gets to two one, that arena would be going crazy. And it's just, you know, actually Gregory Campbell, who wins the faceoff Cause Bergeron kicked out of the dot. Seidenberg goes off the glass, for kind of lucky bounce. And Bergeron just takes off. Um, that one, it like feels the most fitting to me to kind of some up his career because it was shorthanded. It's, just hustle it's not pretty um but it's incredibly clutch and and seals seals that cup um i also think about like just how lucky we are that we got this long of a career from him this great of a career because i also remember his concussion problems that for a time looked like they legitimately had a chance of ending his career um the hit from behind from randy jones and in 2007, he misses the rest of that season, continues to have some concussion issues, even up to that 2011 run where he has the concussion scare late in the second round, misses a couple of games of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you know, like, you every time there was a hit, every time it, there was a chance he had a concussion, like, you worried, and then, and then he, like, got over it, and you just, like, I feel like we just haven't thought about it for a decade plus, like, like he, amazingly, just stopped, you know, having issues. Maybe he got smart enough, you know, how to avoid it. Whatever. Maybe it's just luck. Like I don't know, but I do think back to like how scary that was for a while with all the time he missed, and like the team had to like like sent him away on a vacation just to get away from everything. And, um, you know, it, we know what that can do. To, we saw it end Mark Savard's career. So, you know, he. You know, it's weird to say get lucky given how bad they were for him, how much time he missed, but was able to recover and had you know, all those best years came came after that, which is just amazing.
0: Yeah. And well with concussions, I think it is a lot of luck. Right. So and you know, maybe some rule changes helped along the way because things started changing. Um penalties got called differently, you know, targeting the head, the league was trying to really enforced getting some of those really bad hits out of the game after that. So, um, yeah, probably luck more than anything uh, for that, but he ended up having a very long career after that concussion, like you mentioned. So, yeah, you're right about that. And it does feel like something that we come we kind of forgot even, you know, about because it was so, and, so long ago.
2: And, and you mentioned rule changes. Like he's part of the reason the rules did change too, because mm-hmm. he was, very open about what he went through and was kind of at that time, like one of the only players really speaking up and opening up about like how it affected them. And, and yeah. I think once more players started doing that, like that sort of helped change the culture to where it wasn't like, Oh, well, you know, get your head up, tough it out type thing. And when it was more like, Hey, like these are actually doing real damage. And like, people are talking about this now. And I, I think, that mattered.
0: Yeah. In terms of like moments from his career though, that, that I remember and that I, I will think about um, when I think about Bergeron for sure, the Toronto overtime goal. That's, I mean, that's just because that was such like a, a high, like an instant high that every Bruins fan got when they watched that goal. And like uh, the whole the whole New England uh, was talking about that for a long time. Still, we still are. Um, but to to talk about how important he was in Game Seven for the Stanley Cup, like I mentioned earlier, he scored the first goal of that game too. So he he had two goals in the Stanley Cup Final. Like when when you needed him to be clutch, he was clutch that year. He he sealed it off. And um, like you mentioned, I was watching that highlight from his second goal that made it three nothing the look in Luongo's eyes was like, oh no, like things were falling apart after that point. Like things were falling apart for you to give up a third goal, shorthanded, right when you really needed to score on that power play. So um, yeah, I guess that is kind of an epitome of his career, but you, you wanna know what else is too? That one goal that he saved with an empty net, <laughs> do you remember this? He When he skated the length of the ice, and stopped the puck on the goal line and pulled it out. <laughs> uh, and they had to like review it and make sure it didn't go in, but he just hustled his way all the way back um, to save it from going in the net.
1: Yeah, it's, it is it, it is wild to think about. Uh, you guys bring up such a, such a true point about the concussions and how we just kind of forgot about it because the first concussion was in – October 07, the Randy Jones hit from behind, like you said, cost him the season. The second concussion was the following season. He tried to hit Dennis Seidenberg, who at the time was playing for the Hurricanes at like center ice. He tried to hit Seidenberg and Seidenberg, as we all know from his time in Boston, just was a brick wall. And then, yeah, the closed Giroux concussion I, in, in the 2011 playoffs and all that, all those hap- Those that's three concussions in four years that we knew of. Right. And another thing I think about is it's crazy. because um
0: Oh, by the way, and sorry, Brian, but to, to talk about the concussion thing like in more recent times, when Bergeron was hurt after that Montreal, when he left that Montreal game, we actually did wonder if it was a concussion, because they said it was an injury that he already had and it was being it was reaggravated. And so like people were thinking, okay, well, it was an injury that he's already dealt with. Um, and we didn't necessarily see it happen in real time, maybe it was, like, a bump that we, we didn't notice, like, shook him up, and maybe it was a concussion. So um then when we found out it was the back, um, you know, that's better news um than if it had been a concussion.
2: Yeah, there's also that – there was that awkward hit from Sydney Crosby. That was two seasons ago, right? That was, like – what did that end up being, like, you needed stitches or something instead. It was, like, a cut and- because, like, his helmet had gotten – jammed in to his head or, or something like that it's so but like at the time it like looked like it was a hit to the head and you're like oh man is that like is that what that is
1: and uh and radic fosca for dallas got him a couple of years back too in dallas and people got i mean at this point actually now that i think about it that was probably like five years ago which is crazy but because tory krug is on the team and i think it was pre-covid but um back to real quick though it's so like when you you look back at his at his career right you had 03-04, 05-06, 06-07. So that's three seasons. The following season was lost because he got that concussion like a week into the season. So that season's done. So his fourth NHL season was 08-09 and then 9-10. So he won a Stanley. Now that we look back and we know it was 19 seasons, he won the Stanley Cup in his sixth NHL season. That's a that's pretty. It was technically his seventh, but but he missed the, the entire year, and then there was a there was a, a lockout year in 0-4 or five. So he had been in the year in the league for more years, and he had seasons. But it's kind of weird to think about how it was only his sixth NHL season on the ice when he won the Stanley Cup after nineteen seasons. Looking back now, he won that pretty early in his career, all things considered, right around the the, the one third mark. So um, I, I I think I think along with all the admiration and accolades, people will, will, will rain down on Patrice Bergeron. The only thing people will say about Bergeron in this Bruins era as it's now, I mean, he really is kind of the end of an era here, right? I mean, Bergeron goes, Krejci goes. I mean, you're really left with Martian at this point. Um, you know, the knock on the Bruins is they may have left a couple short. And by a couple, I mean Stanley Cups and, and Bergeron included. And when you think about how he won that Stanley Cup in his sixth season, um, you definitely and, – and they were set up for so long after that, but – um that's the only thing but that's but again that's that's a that's a team success and a team failure type thing but not an individual but yeah it's just wild uh what a career what a run and um lucky is is definitely the term to for, for Boston sports fans I mean for him to play his entire career as a Bruin is very uncommon for one player to do it for that long with one team and I I think I think he should be held in honestly like Tom Brady's Tom Brady. What he did here is remarkable. And a couple, you know, David Ortiz and a couple of others um, in their sports have done some miraculous things. Bergeron didn't get as many rings as some of these guys. But, I mean, that aside, he should be held in the highest regard. And I don't know if you guys have – does Bergeron crack your your top three Bruins of all time or top five? Have you even thought about where he is on that list? I mean, obviously, it starts and ends with Bobby Orr, But after that, I mean, you got Ray Boric and Bergeron and a couple of others that – Really, are kind of vying for those top five spots.
0: Well, I know Scott's thought about it because Scott's putting together the Centennial team, so Scott knows where he would put Bergeron. I assume.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm t- technically not allowed to like reveal my rankings until they go public, but yeah, like you're you're obviously in the ballpark. I, I would say, you know, I think like Orr or and Bork are you know pretty obvious at the top, and then like you could have Bergeron anywhere three through I don't know six seven like he's obviously way up there so um yeah without giving exactly where I have him it's yeah I think you're you're pretty safe saying he's um at least in contention for the top five and potentially even higher than that like I think you absolutely can make the case for him being third you know you throw Esposito Busick Eddie Shore Neely you know, Milt Schmidt, um, like there's a lot of guys who who have great cases to be that high on the list, but he's absolutely right there with any of them. Like, you know, did win a cup, had the longevity, has the point totals in, in, you know, franchise history at, or, you know, really high up on like just about every list. So, um, and all the Selkies, like that's, having two more of those than anyone else in history. I know it's not, you know, an MVP award and he, he never finished top five in MVP voting, but winning six Selgies is incredible. And this, you know, I think it's actually fair. Like, I guess we don't know exactly how great defensively players way back in like the thirties and forties were, especially forwards. But in modern times, like it, you can absolutely say with, good amount of confidence that he was the best defensive forward ever, or at least expansion error, or whatever parameters you want to put on it. But um, yeah, so he's going to, yeah, he's going to land very high on, on my list. And I assume on, you know, whatever final list that we end up putting out as, as a group when, uh, when the Centennial team gets announced.
0: What What happens when you guys disagree on like where, like, especially the top five, I feel like that's going to be tough to agree. But there's about, what, 15 or 20 of you <laughs> putting it together. Yeah.
2: Well, I think some, I, my understanding of how it kind of works is I think the list is just going to be like, a, like, we all submit our list. And then I think it's just going to be like a calculated combination that spits out, like, the ranking. But then what we get together and discuss is, like, we're actually building, like, a 20-man centennial team of. Twelve forwards, six defensemen, two goalies. So I think that's what we all like. will be spending a day talking through.
0: You and Connor Ryan and Matt Porter, and you're gonna have to fight over who's who's getting. Yeah,
2: well, yeah. M- Matt Porter might be zooming in from from parts unknown, wherever he happens to be on his trip around the world at that point. So yeah. Scott,
1: I, I I have a question for you. Like, and I don't want to. I don't want you to have to reveal your secrets. But one thing I find interesting is. For this exercise, so many of the greats that that will be high on this list, anywhere on this list, really, but specifically high on this list, unfortunately, you and some others were born after their time, and highlights from a lot of these players' times aren't readily available. So, like, are you, for players you didn't have the luxury of watching throughout your life, where you have to, is it just more or less reflecting on just, like, like stats and just rhetoric and it, like because i would i would love hey if anybody from nesson's listening in, instead of 50 episodes of you know charlie Moore outdoors from 10 years ago can we get some like archived like bruins games from the 70s and 80s just like constantly on and red Sox and all the sports like can we get some archived games from the new england sports network on the onto their channel that'd be I great I, I remember
2: when they I don't remember if it was addict, or, fan or, fan or maybe even like UPN back in the day when they used to play more of them. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I would I would just it's fascinating just to watch because it's like yeah, you want to see those old players, but also it just looks like a different sport. Like it's
1: awesome. It does. It, yeah. It's, back, <laughs> back in like the um I wanna say maybe around like two thousand to like two thousand and five around then, Nessen used to have this this show called Fan Attic. And
2: yeah, and oh, like you yeah, would
1: tune in and I still can think of the theme song it was like, yeah. and then, and like they had like a narrator and he would, he would like, they were like chronologized like game by game highlights of like the 1970 season. And it was just really cool. And other seasons in that era. And uh anyway, so to my, my question though, Scott, like it, it must be tough to kind of do your due diligence with, with only so much readily available.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's stats. It's looking at things like, you know, how important they were on teams, you know, did the, did they win a cup? Were they one of the best players on a team that won a cup? Um, were they one of the best players on teams that made deep playoff runs? Uh how do they compare to like the rest of the league? Like where do they finish in Hart trophy voting or Norris voting or what do they win for awards? Things like that. Um and then, you know, trying to like read up on because what they tell us is the definition is like the most legendary players. So they leave that open to us. So it's like, okay, also, you know, where they kind of bigger than the game, like where they regarded as a superstar, because like, then I guess that would make them a little more legendary than maybe someone who was a good player on a good team, but might've been a little more under the radar. So like, I tried to take kind of all that into account. Um It is hard to compare across errors because it's like, I like I mentioned like Bergeron not finishing top 5 in heart Trophy voting. And then it's like some someone like Eddie Shore won four heart Trophies. But he was also playing in a smaller league in a completely different era where the game looked completely different and it's like like how do you balance something like that? You know like Eddie Shore's four heart Trophies in the 30s aren't the same as like a heart trophy today or even yeah, and he
0: didn't have to try to beat out McDavid for once. So,
2: <laughs> yeah. So like stuff like that's tough, but I do try to look at, you know, how do you compare like within your era? basically, like were you one of the best in your era? Did you just play for a long time? Like all that, you know, did you help them win a cup or multiple cups? So, um, you know, try to, like I try to incorporate a little bit of everything. And then at a certain point, it kind of just gets down to like gut feel. Like I don't have, I don't have like a formula where it's like spitting out numbers for each guy. And it's like, love, okay, well I'm just going to rank them all. By stats. What
0: you love your advanced stats here. Yeah. You're so very... like
2: the, what's inter- like the closest you can probably get with advanced stats for something like this is hockey reference does have point shares Both by season and for career. So, like, you can look at that and it can be something of a guideline. But, like, that's it's an imperfect stat and it's calculated differently because, like, today you have more data for it than you would have in the 1920s. So, you know, there's also like people also played fewer games back then. They're, you know, if you go way back to the 20s, they were like 20 game seasons and then they went up to like 40 or 48 game seasons. So, it's like, what are these? You can't even just go on counting stats either.
1: What do you? What are the advanced stats for the twenties? How many packs of Marlboros they they smoke? Each right. year? <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean. uh, how many? How many guys are you hit in the head with your stick and <laughs> force them to be stretchered off?
1: I. Uh, I'm actually. I'm. I'm curious. I wonder. if lists come out next year.
2: Uh. I. So, our lists are due in August, and then we have we all get together in September, and I think, I think everything gets announced publicly in October.
1: Oh. I wonder where. I wonder. Where, right before uh, the season.
2: Uh, I don't know if it's before or might be like during early season, at some point.
1: I mean, I know we talked about like how next season is it's it's unclear, right? But but there are there are still some Bruins on the on the current roster that are definitely going to be high on these lists. I mean, David Pasternak is eleventh in the franchise's uh all-time scoring leaders and he's 27 years old he's you know he's halfway through his career so that's I mean and then Marshan is a top 10 scorer and you know Mila Lucci's coming back I'm sure you talk about larger-than-life personalities I mean maybe Lucci will find himself somewhere on that list I think he rightfully should be if we're talking 100, 100 players so um anyway that'll, that'll that'll be that'll be fun you guys have uh is Brad Martian before we sign off is see the next captain they're gonna be capitalist in their hundredth season, or is he gonna pass the torch to somebody? You think?
2: I, I think it should and will be Marshand. Um, I think he probably gets to see until until he retires or he's ready to pass it on to someone. But that makes a lot of sense to me, rather than like bypassing him and going to McAvoy or Postenoc, Which I guess, like, I kind of understand from the standpoint of, hey, if you want to like really kind of turn the page to the next era and. Get it on, you know, one of those long-term pillars of of your next core. But I mean, Marshawn's the leader of this team right now. Like he's he's one who stepped up when Bergeron was out in the playoffs. He was clearly Bergeron's deputy for the last several years. So it's like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, I think it has to be Marshawn. And it, we think about the personalities of of McAvoy and Pasternak as well. Um, Pasternak, he's kind of a go with the flow kind of person, it seems. Uh, and Marshon has really stepped up in terms of leading. Um, we saw it in the playoffs. I mean, it kind of sounds silly to probably non ruins fans because they think of Marshawn as somebody who licks people, and you know, has not been the most mature player in the past. But he's definitely matured, um, and we've seen it in, in particular this past season. He has really um shown that he has those leadership skills and I feel like it would be wrong to bypass him I don't care if you're really wanting to turn the page I think that that would would be disrespectful too um the role Marshawn has played here for you know almost as long as Bergeron so uh it it would be wrong to to go right by him and I think that people look, look to him for leadership so why not just give him the C
1: yeah, I mean, I, I would be surprised if it didn't. If it did go to one of the younger two in Pasternak or McAvoy, I I don't think it would go to them without going through Marshan first. Um, and you know, the only the only way that get, that gets tricky is if the Bruins end up floundering for a year or two and they decide to maybe sell high on him or something like that while he has a C. see that could be tough. But uh, yeah, I mean, I also think he would. Um, I also think that he is gonna hold the weight of, of the captainship in the centennial season and all that that entails, you know, media, um, you know, ceremonials things all that stuff. So I think, I think, uh, and yeah, I mean, and he's the last, well, Lucic is back, but he's the last remaining champion from, you know, that, that, that season. Right. So well, it's a
0: Luci. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyway. um, All right, guys, I think, We've, we've we've done a sufficient update for for our listeners on on the Bergeron news. Um, any final thoughts, takeaways?
0: Uh, just wondering when the crazy news comes.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. it's kind of weird that that's still still lingering. But I don't know. I, I I would be very surprised if if we find out he's coming back. Just doesn't uh, doesn't seem like that's going to happen.
1: Any uh, what's the timeline again for Frederick and Swayman? uh
2: within the next week basically i think swayman's hearings july 30th and frederick august 1st so basically under a week to to get a deal in before you go to arbitration which is no no one wants to go to arbitration because especially if you're the team like you have to basically make the case for why the player isn't worth as much as they think they are and that's done in front of the player so it's It's like that it's uncomfortable
0: yeah, I think I remember that. I can remember a few like ugly arbitration hearings that were. I would. They feel like maybe Zach Parise was one like a while ago where it went, and then it was it's just insulting.
1: The Bruins would have a tough time telling and why he isn't worth something, though. I mean, he's, I know. And Frederick stupid.
0: having his best uh, career, uh, year yeah, in his career. With,
1: with Frederick, though, they can they can talk about how I mean quietly frederick's been on the team for like five years now so they could talk about how he's just breaking through now and he was on a line with taylor hall and whatever but with swayman it's like i mean he's just been steady since he debuted it's i mean That's the only true. thing that they can say to him is that he's carried the workload with Allmark, but that was not his decision so
0: yeah and, and talk about when you talk about swayman maybe a guy that will be on the next centennial team if he sticks around in boston and plays to the potential we think he has
2: Well, and also, like, if from the Bruins' perspective, if you you get this worked out before, it also, you know, potentially allows you to fit them into what you have left of cap space, and not have to free up any more. Right now, the Bruins have five point four million. So, you know, however you want to split that up in your head, say it's, I don't know, three point two to Swayman, two point two to Frederick, like something like that. You can be talking to both sides and like finagle that into into what you have left if you go to arbitration and lose both and they come in higher like there's no you don't get to negotiate after that either you accept that and sign them for it or you let them go and they're and they're free agent and it's like you know you don't want to have Swayman come in at four and frederick at like two and a half and now it's like ah crap we're a million dollars over if we sign them like that's no you you want to get it done before and I guess I still think they will, but obviously they are now cutting it a little bit close with, you know, five, six days to go. All
1: right, Bridget and Scott, thanks for uh, being flexible today. I mean, all of us kind of just were like, all right, we got to hop on and and do this, do this, this episode now. Cause this is, doesn't get much more newsworthy than, than this. I mean, we're talking about an all time player and, and, and professional. So, uh, congratulations to Patrice Bergeron. I mean, for making all of our lives just so much more enjoyable watching the Bruins last however long even watching them. And we'll see what happens with the team going forward. They got the work cut out for them, and we don't. You know, we only have about a, what two months, just about two months until opening night, maybe a little bit more. So um, we'll see if the Bruins enter the regular season as is, and or if, or if changes are on the horizon. But either way, we'll be covering it the entire time. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.